Hello, and welcome to episode eight. I am excited for today's episode, but first I want to let you know about a few changes. This podcast is changing names from Creative Purpose Podcast to the Inward Experience with Meraki Pages. This podcast is dedicated to helping sexual assault survivors. That means that I am rebranding so that it is not connected to my blogging business, but will be connected to my therapeutic writing business. Thank you for being here as we transition to bring even more great guest experts to you. Let's welcome Tara from Embody Emerge as we talk all about our erotic blueprint and sex after trauma. Hello, everybody, and let's welcome Tara today as my guest expert. I am super excited to have you here. I would love for you to be able to introduce yourself, so let's welcome Tara. Hi. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I'm really, really excited for today's conversation. It's going to be so great. Um, let's see, what do I do? So I own and operate a business called Embody Emerge, and our mission is basically to end gender and sexuality-based oppression and violence. So the crux of what I do really centers around gender and sexuality. I am a sex coach. I am certified in the erotic blueprints, which I know we're gonna talk a little bit about today. It's super exciting. I also am a therapist and a diversity consultant for the LGBT community. Welcome. I am so excited to have you here, like beyond excited. Uh, we kind of introduced, and I can't remember the group that we found each other in, um, but it was your erotic blueprints that stuck out. And I was like, okay, I need to have you on and I need you to talk about it. So kind of give us what you, what you mean by that. Yeah. So I'll just tell you a little bit about what the, the blueprints are. The Erotic Blueprints were founded by a woman named Jaya. Um, I've been certified under her to teach and coach in her methodology. She basically pioneered um, five languages for arousal. So much like the love languages, if you're familiar with those, this is your body's language for turn on. Um, and so there are five of them. The first one, I'll tell you about each of them, is energetic. Then we have sensual, sexual, kinky, and shapeshifter. So the energetic blueprint, um, listen for yourself in here, see what, what really resonates for you. Energetic blueprint is all about anticipation. These people are turned on by space, by longing, by tease. Sensual, people are more turned on by their entire body being ignited. So there are people who really love aromatherapy, running a hot bath, relaxing deeply, soft clothing and blankets, mood lighting, nice music, really all of their senses need to be ignited for them to get really turned on. Sexuals are more like zero to 60. They don't need a whole lot of foreplay. They're really like wanna go straight for the genitals. And that's their route, right? They're really turned on by nudity. They're turned on by direct contact. One distinction I like to make is sensuals really need to relax in order to have sex. Whereas 
sexuals really need to have sex in order to relax. See that difference there? Yes, that's that's a good that's a good uh, difference to keep in mind. Yeah, that's a huge difference. Yeah, it really is. And as you can see, uh, if you are matched, if you're a sensual and your partner is a sexual, that can create some um, disconnect there, right? Yes. Yeah, beautiful. So let's move on to kinky. Um, the kinky people are folks, this isn't just about BDSM, even though a lot of people think about it that way. Kinky folks are actually turned on by the naughty factor, like by things that are taboo. And that is different for everyone. So if you were raised that sex should happen between a man and a woman in missionary position for procreation only, then having sex any other time other than for procreation might feel a little bit naughty or a little taboo, right? If that is what turns you on, then that's the kinky blueprint. Does that make sense? That makes sense. Awesome. So then shapeshifters are really people who need all of those different blueprints to be ignited in order to really find their pleasure. So they're folks that want it all. They're like the most sophisticated in some ways of, of all of the blueprints because they need diversity. Um, they really, if you have one way that you have sex all the time, shapeshifters will get very bored with that very fast and need to shake it up. The other thing about shapeshifters is they will shift to be in, in their partner's blueprint. So they're people that sacrifice their own needs in order to meet their, their partner's needs most frequently. And, and that can't be healthy. No, eventually you get resentful, right? You feel unfed, unmet. Unloved. Unloved. But then there's this... Um, there's this piece that's happening behind the scenes of your consciousness even, where you've shifted because you have access to your partner's blueprint into what pleases them without getting the rest of your needs. Wow, interesting. I, I never even thought that you could shift to your partners. I mean, it makes sense because, especially if you spend a lot of time with them, right? And mm -hmm. you've been in a relationship for a while, you're gonna start realizing what it is so does that mean for a man and a woman, let's say that they both identify as a man and a woman, okay? Does that mean, does a woman, will they both equally have the chance to shift to what their partner likes? Or because is it more likely a woman that is going to shift for a man? Does that, does that make sense? Like mm. if, is there one sex that's more likely to shift to please someone else and kind of throw what their desire is out versus mm. the other? That's a really good question. And I'm not sure that we actually have statistics for it at this point. I think that based on our belief systems, some people might draw conclusions about if there's a certain sex or gender that is more likely to shift. From my experience, in my coaching practice, I see all different kinds of genders who are doing this. Um, I think that it's, it's something that happens under the radar. I also wanna mention that our society is sexually blueprinted. Our, you know, we have this idea that sex sells, you know, where we have all of this advertising and marketing that's based on you know, like 
tight bodies and like all of this like super hypersexualized culture. Um, and that's what's supposed to grab us. That's what's supposed to, you know, turn our attention. But that's not really the way that all people are wired. And so a lot of folks will get into a relationship and they have lots of really hot sex at the very beginning. And then their blueprints show up because they're not actually sexual blueprints. And suddenly there's a sexless marriage or suddenly the passion fizzles out because we're taught that sex should only look one way. It should really be a genital focused thing rather than sex is really about anticipation or sex is really about igniting the senses or sex is really about that naughty factor. Mm -hmm. We don't think about that. We think about the sexual blueprint as what sex is. In well, society. And I think it changes. Now this is, I've talked about this on my blog before, but I think it changes too once you have kids. Mm -hmm. Because I think at this point, it's like, okay, we have five minutes before someone's waking up. <laughs> so let's do this as fast as we can. So I think it's not always even purposeful, right? Yeah. I think it's just, okay, you know what? We have to do what we have to do in the time that we have or we wait, right? Yeah. And as bad as that sounds, I think we need to somehow figure out how not to do that, Absolutely. right? How to... And I don't know if that comes with educating our kids and saying, you know what, this is time that mom and dad need. They don't need to know what it is we're doing. But if we say, hey, this is mom and dad time, you guys need to go whatever, mm -hmm. right? Um, but I think as, especially as a society, I think that we've fallen into the trap of we have kids, mm -hmm. we don't have time anymore. And I know I have it. I've done it. because. Yeah. At the end of the day, let's say even by eight o'clock or nine o'clock when all the kids are sleeping, I don't have the energy for that. I want it. I want to have the energy. <laughs> but at the end of the day, it's just like, oh, really? It's, it, and maybe that's because the erotic blueprint is off, right? I mean, I'm sure that comes into play as well is that, okay, well, why do it when this isn't being met or this isn't being met, right? I'd rather go without and figure out why I why I'd rather not do it right absolutely oh, um, yeah. I my listeners are probably like why are we why are these these everyone talking about this so why <laughs> um I know you know my story um mm -hmm. and why it's important for me to talk about and I think for us to share why this is important. Um, can you share kind of the reason you went into this? Yeah. I am also a, a sexual assault survivor. Um, and shit happened for me after my assault. Um, at one point in my life, sex was pretty accessible for me. Um, I felt like a highly arousable person. I was um, able to have sex frequently and it felt really enjoyable. I didn't think twice about my sexuality. And then after my assault, everything changed. My arousal in my body shifted. My uh, desire to connect physically and be touched shifted. My blueprint really changed. And at that point, I didn't know about the blueprints. I thought that there was something wrong with me that there, you know, I've maybe lost my ability to be intimate in that way. Um, 
And then, oh my gosh, the onslaught of stories that come in about like, am I lovable? How am I ever going to keep a partner happy? You know, all of those sorts of stories that come in. And when I found the blueprints, what I realized was that my body just needed space. My assault happened in a way that, you know, was, was very much like, I hate to, to put a blueprint on it because I don't want to necessarily say that, that overgeneralize. I don't want to overgeneralize. But for me, my assault was a sexual blueprint assault. You know, the, the person who assaulted me went, went straight for my body. Right. And, and I think, so, but I think a lot of sexual assaults are like that, right? Exactly. Because it's that power grab. And I yeah. think that's how that, that's what, I don't think you're overgeneralizing. I think that's just the way that you can really say, this is how it is. Because I think a lot of women that's, or, or men, um, mm -hmm. really go through that. Yeah, right? absolutely. Absolutely. And that speaks to just some of our wounding around the sexual blueprint as a society, right? Yeah. And I also want to say that what I mean by not overgeneralizing is that um, sexual blueprints are inherently abusive. There's a lot of health and beauty there to, to being blueprinted that way. It's just that a lot of times sexual assault happen that way. Mm -hmm. So I want to make that distinction really clear. Now, that was the case for me. And so suddenly what used to be a route to turn on you know, going, going straight for my erogenous zones was suddenly unaccessible. It, it made my body cringe, my whole system shut down. I wanted nothing to do with it at all. So much that I would avoid relationship. What happened when I learned about the blueprints is actually that I realized that there was more of an energetic and sensual thing arising. I needed space. I needed that like soft gaze across a room. I needed to feel that, that all of my body, all of my senses would be attended to in a really like romantic, indulgent way. I needed to feel like I had power in the situation. Um, and that meant for a while, it meant moving slow. And there was a time um, when, you know, your blueprint are fluid they shift throughout time so in my healing journey from my sexual assault there was a time that things shifted into more of like the kinky blueprint where i really i really wanted to resolve the parts of me that um felt like sex was taboo that there was something like naughty or dangerous about it and i needed to resolve that you know it, so it's shifted quite a bit and having this language has really allowed me to heal and reclaim my pleasure in um, a completely different way that's allowed me to, uh, to regain my sense of self and my sexuality. And I think that's an important step, especially when you are um, a survivor. I mm -hmm. think because that's taken away from us, yeah. right? It's the power game, right? And we lose the ability to choose in that moment um so how do you kind of get started with figuring this out because because you already described what they are so i think in the back of your mind you're thinking okay well this one fits me this one fits me and this one fits me yeah how do you go about figuring it out yeah so there's a, a quiz 
that we, I'll make sure that, that you have a link to, um, that you can take online. It takes like 10 minutes and you'll get percentages. And pretty much everybody on this planet has more than one blueprint. You get, you know, your highest percentage is your main blueprint and then it kind of goes down from there. And the way to read that is that your highest percentage is your gateway. It's the way into your arousal. And so once that blueprint is met, say you're highest and energetic. Once the anticipation and the tease has built up enough, then you can access your second blueprint and then your third blueprint and, and on down like that. So it becomes a map for like the best sex in your life. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. So I wanna, I wanna say one thing though about the test. The test is gonna reflect to you what you think you are. Each blueprint has different types of touch and that's where coaching comes in. That's where I come in. So if you wanna learn more about what your body really responds to, not just your mind, you come into coaching to really like learn what are the different types of touch, what are the different ways that I can feed my blueprint so that I can access that greater arousal? So is, is that by like really getting out of your mind? Like is that, is that what your coaching does? It's it, because I, I want to say you overthink it, right? Mm -hmm. when, especially if you're taking a quiz, right? You're reading through and you're like, ooh, which one am I, right? <laughs> yeah. it, it's, so does the coaching help you kind of relax and take the thinking out of it or do you go into the thinking because i'm tr like is it i don't know i don't know how i'm exactly trying to say this so mm -hmm. i don't know if this makes sense to you or not but are you tr are you trying to get them to think more about it or think less about it mm. that makes sense that's a really good question i think the goal is to strike a balance and the goal is to have access to the most resources possible, both your body and your mind, right? So each blueprint has a shadow side. You know, we've got this like these superpowers, like really, really awesome things about each blueprint. Each blueprint also has a shadow side. One of the shadow sides, the sensual shadow, has to do with overthinking. Their sensuals are, are really um, often get distracted or have elusive orgasms. Like they, they get like so, so close and then something brings their mind away from their body and suddenly like the orgasm never comes, you know? And that's, that's a very typical thing. So getting out of your mind in order to really sink into your body is definitely a skill for great sex. Mm -hmm. for sure and that's definitely something that we talk about so do you coach for your sex coach coach practice do you work with a lot of sexual assault survivors like do you or is it really just anybody yeah so the crux of my um of my sex coaching practice is really about gender and sexuality based violence so there's a lot of people who are reclaiming their pleasure after sexual assault. There's a lot of people who are reclaiming their pleasure around their gender, around like, you know, I, I want to know, I want to have access to all kinds of pleasure as a woman. I want to have, you know, better access to different kinds of pleasure as a man or 
I want to know, you know, during a gender transition, what does this mean for my body and my sexuality? Mm -hmm. um, so those are, are really the clients that I, I serve, people who are into reclamation. And I know that we talked about this before. Um, I'm hoping maybe you can kind of give some beginner stages. Because um, during our pre-interview, I was talking about how when I had met my husband, that it was really in the bulk of the darkness of what had happened. And I had yet to deal with anything, right? And I took me 11 years to deal with it. Um, but there were points in our relationship that I would physically push him away, right? I would, you would get that trigger, even though it doesn't, at that moment, you don't think of it as a trigger, right? It's just all of a sudden you're just completely overwhelmed and feeling like you're trapped, right? Yeah. That's, I, that's the best way I think I can put it is it's a trapped feeling. So in the middle of sex, I would physically push him away and I would begin crying and he would just kind of <laughs> be there like, okay, what happened? Right. Mm -hmm. Because I, at that, at that point of time, you could, I couldn't verbalize it. Right. I couldn't say what, what the issue was. It was just get off of me. Now you need to leave me alone, not touch me. So I think this is a part that as a survivor, we don't talk about. So what are some kind of tips to help mm -hmm. get through that, to get in that moment, how you can really begin to deal with it and make your partner aware that it's not them, that it's just, this is part of the process of figuring all of this out. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the first thing to really just internalize for yourself is that it's okay for certain things in sex not to work for you. Give yourself permission to have, to have a no, to have a boundary, to have a, that's not quite the right spot. Can you, you know, move to the left a little bit? You know, all of those different ways in which um, we want to make sex different or better. That's okay. A lot of people think that those things should be unspoken and that good sex is sex where you never have to talk about that. That's actually not the case. When I talk to people about the best sex of their life, it's almost always that there was communication about what was working and what wasn't. And the reason I say that is because developing a language to speak your needs is the, of the utmost importance. Not only because you can communicate it to someone else, but because you know it for yourself when you have language to describe it. And so in any moment, I can ask my lover to, you know, to move away a little bit. I need a little bit more space here to really like access the connection between us. Um, to slow down and really like cup all of the curves of my body with the, the full hole of their hand, you know, or um, that I need there to be a little bit of, of power play in order to like really access my body in this moment. All of those things are beautiful ways to communicate so that your lover has the best chance of meeting your needs and of maintaining connection with you when you're um, in early stages of fighting to maintain connection with yourself. Mm -hmm. Right? 
Yeah. And yeah, and I think that I guess that's probably the biggest takeaway for me is it's not necessarily about connecting with them. Yeah. It's about connecting with you in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, is there any other advice that you would give? Because I, I think that, and maybe this is only true for me, but I assumed with time that the triggers would go away. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work like that, right? I think I'm learning now that a trigger can happen. I mean, it's been, this year will be 17 years, right? Since my sexual assault. And there's moments that I can still be triggered. It's maybe not as big and explosive as it was, but there is still that lingering feeling, right? Mm -hmm. That comes. So is there, after you experience that, is there something that you can do to kind of help process it a bit easier? My recommendation, so um, my field of study was somatic psychology, which is really healing through the body. And my recommendation is always for people to find a somatic counselor, someone who can support you to do your healing through your body, to bring your body along with you in the, the healing journey. A lot of sexual assault counselors do a lot of talking. Um, you know, you one of the the uh part pieces that like lots of people say is like oh you know we're going to schedule a, sen- a session for you to tell your story and there's like this big build up for like you got to tell your story and then after you tell your story something's supposed to have shifted but the telling of the story is very cognitive it doesn't actually bring you into the healing that your body needs because what happens when you have a moment where your power is taken from you, your nervous system freezes an image of that, um, like casts it in stone almost in your nervous system. And then for the rest of forever, until that is metabolized really and healed, anything that reminds your body of that moment will trigger that nervous system response. And then your body is hijacked. It's not, it doesn't matter what your mind is thinking. It doesn't matter that you know that your partner is a safe person. Your body is taken back to the time. And so my biggest recommendation is finding a healing modality that centers your body's experience of what happened. So what does that exactly mean? So what does, you said a somatic therapist. So what is it that they actually do then? Like, yeah. do they include like body movements or like what actually is that? Yeah. So there's um, three ways that your body can speak. Breath, movement, and sensations. That's how your body communicates with you. So body-based therapists or somatic therapists will use those three ways to help you process what's happening in your body, what your body response is to any, anything, anything in your story. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. I've actually never heard of, because I'm currently doing a course um, as well. And we actually, because we always talk about the fight or flight, right? And I like that you mentioned freeze because I recently just was learning about it 
And it was like, how come nobody ever said this to me out of all of the counselors that I've ever had in my life? No one has ever mentioned to me the freezing part because that's exactly what it was is you're in that moment and there is no fight or flight, right? Mm -hmm. You just, it's kind of like a play dead, right? Scenario. Um, So thank you for bringing that up because I think that we are not taught that, that we are either taught fight or flight, but we don't realize there's so much more than just those two. Yeah. Can I offer you a fourth one also? Yes, please. Yeah. So, so for everybody who doesn't know, what we're talking about is, um, is your nervous system's responses to um, really, really intense danger, right? Or moments when your power is going to be taken from you. And it's um, triggered by a part of your brain called the reticular activating system, which is right at the base of your skull. And it moderates your nervous system, your breathing, all of your bodily functions, um, your automatic body functions kind of come from that part of your brain. So when you have danger in your environment, that reticular activating system will tell your nervous system to do something. The ones that we hear often are fight or flight, right? I gear up, I'm going to go defensive, or I'm going to run away. Then we have freeze, right? Which is what you're talking about, where there's, it's like you can't move. Yeah. Like there's nothing, I mean, there's literally nothing you can do. Your body's just like stuck. Yeah, there's no talking. There, it's, and it's funny because I've talked about that before in some of the public speaking events that I have done. And I have said, I don't know how to explain it. But there was, I couldn't scream. I couldn't move. I couldn't fight back. It was literally me just laying there, yep. unable to do anything. Right. And, no, and it's amazing that it's never been said to me that that's what it is. So I'm super excited to hear what the fourth. Absolutely. So the fourth one is fawn. And what that means is that you become complicit to whatever the other person wants. And it's like you, you move into this, like, I have to please my abuser right now because I'm so afraid of what will happen if I don't. And that is something that gets locked into our nervous system that we do over and over and over again when we get triggered. Okay. Isn't that fascinating? So there's a so lot fascinating. Of, yeah. So there's a lot of people who are sexual assault survivors who recognize that they didn't, they didn't want it. You know, it, it wasn't something that they were okay with. Their body wasn't into it. The, the other person, their abuser, should have seen all of those signs. And there was something in them that allowed it to happen. Um, and that does not necessarily make that person responsible or have any agency because there was still not any choice. Yeah, so that's basically like saying yes or no, right? Because during mine, I didn't say no, right? And I, I always play that fact back. And I think that was made clear during, and I'm totally going to blank on the Netflix show that talks about this, right? That huge show where the girl committed suicide and it's such a big show. Yeah. And because she didn't say no, right? So people are like, well, then it's not sexual assault. It's not rape. But at the same time, they, because I think we classify it as the fight or flight, right? Mm-hmm. That nobody learns about these other aspects. Yeah. And that's where the saying no and 
all of that falls in because you can't, right? Yeah. You don't, there's, and it's not something that I can explain, right? There is no way to say why I didn't because yeah. I can't, I can't, it was my body and I can't say, and I can't give reasons as to why I didn't say it. I just knew I couldn't say it. Exactly. Exactly. And we need to give permission for that to be okay. And for that to be the case. Yes. People who are committing assault, who learn that they need to be more sensitive to the cues of the people around them to know what is or what is not okay. Yes. And that's and what that's, I think the big key is. It's yeah. definitely, it's learning what permission is. And it's funny that you say that because I actually had a friend whose daughter was sexually assaulted. And I remember her saying, because they, her daughter and the guy, they were friends. Mm. And he said, I didn't realize that you didn't want it. Mm -hmm. Because I think that it's, comes back to that we're highly sexualized. Exactly. Right? And so that's, and, and that comes back to, have you ever seen the documentary, The Mask We Live In? No, I haven't. No. Okay. So I love it. Like I tell every, it's, it's more pertaining to boys. So it's talking about how we raise our boys as a society and what we are showing them in everyday things, video games, music, and like everything that they are coming into contact with is this huge, highly sexualized content, mm -hmm. right? And so it talks about how it's affecting them as they grow up because they're growing into these men that don't realize the signs. Yeah. right? Because they've been, um, I'm blanking on the word. They've been groomed. I don't want to say groomed. That seems weird, but yeah, to, yeah, yeah. to, have, to think that this is how everything always is, right? It's a really interesting and eye-opening documentary focusing on what we're doing as a society to really play out what sexualizing women is doing right mm -hmm. and how it's affecting not only the women but how it's affecting our boys and how they're growing up and how they don't realize that they're even seeing this right because it's so ingrained into our everyday lives absolutely we don't even realize it and i highly recommend it i recommend it to everybody who has boys but i highly recommend it as girls with girls too because you can really see what the difference is, right? And I, and I know you work with the gender um, and not um, kind of bringing them together, right? So you're not boy, girl, that, I don't know a lot about that topic, but, and I don't know how that'll play in with your work. It was just super fascinating to me to see how as a society we're training and we're, yeah, we don't even realize we're doing it. Like, yeah. I mean, maybe they do realize it, but as a mom, I never thought about it coming from that perspective, mm -hmm. all the stuff that my son was seeing yeah. and how it was going to impact yeah. all of everything else in his life, right? Absolutely. And our ability to, to create connections. So here's a great example. If we're going to... If... Blueprinted or socialized or groomed, you said into being sexual blueprints. 
they're told that a, a good man is a is someone who can get hard on a dime anytime that they you know anytime they want they should like go straight for the genitals you know like boobies are the best thing ever like they're they're groomed yeah to be sexually blueprinted cisgender women are groomed to be sensually blueprinted they we've got in all of our media we've got the the romance and the candles and the you know, make her dinner beforehand and all of these sorts of things, which are all sensual things. Yeah. So there's something wrong with you. And that is a pain point for so many people and so many relationships fall apart because of it. That's so interesting. Yeah, and I completely even forgot how, like, fairy tales, right? (laughs) That's definitely showing what women want, right? How we want to be treated. And, yes, that's, it's it's crazy. Like, (laughs) I feel like I could talk to you all day about sex-related things. (laughs) (laughs) So, are there any... um, last things that you want to share like is there anything that you really that you feel like we didn't cover and that you're like i really want everyone to hear this yeah um i want to talk about some of the struggles really fast with yep. each of the blueprints the shadow sides because i oh, mentioned first but this is a really powerful piece because if you can recognize what your obstacles are you can start to overcome them, right? Yep. So, so in the quiz itself, does it point out the shadow side or is that through coaching? It. Yeah, it's more through coaching, but okay. also that's more self-assessment. Okay. As I go through, you know, really start to think about like, what is this for me? What resonates for me? Now, one thing that I'll say is that the shadows aren't tied to the blueprint. So you might have, um, you might be energetic blueprint, but have a sensual shadow. Okay, so you can, you can just listen and you can have any of these shadows. You can yeah. have all of these shadows. Um, they just kind of point to what are the obstacles, what might support you in healing or accessing greater pleasure, okay. right? Yeah. Okay. So the energetic shadow is, um, energetics are super sensitive. You know, they can feel energy from across a room sometimes. And so what that leads to a lot of times is, um, overstimulation you know that if their if their body if you go at an energetic too fast or too direct their body's going to freeze up and, and be overstimulated and numb out and then you can't feel the pleasure does that mean you can't get in once you reach that point is it just you need to walk away like is is it at that point do you just need space mm-hmm. well it's different for everybody you know, for me, for my partner, I might, I might say, you know, can we just have a moment here where we look into each other's eyes? And then my body like comes down and re- calms down and re-regulates. And then okay. I can go back into touch um, or those sorts of things. It's going to be different for everybody. And that's yes. one of the ways that coaching is so brilliant because we get to discover that. Yes. Um, yeah, so that is the energetic shadow, is kind of oversensitivity. Also, sometimes energetics, people who are like kind of spiritual in their sexuality, 
sometimes get a little hierarchical. Like my ability to feel you from across the room makes me more sophisticated than your sexuality. And sometimes that can um, lead to disconnect in other blueprints, right? Like mm -hmm. then suddenly the energetic person puts themselves on top of a pedestal and their sexual partner is somehow less than them. And that's not okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right? Okay. So talking about sensual shadow, we mentioned the distractions. So sensual shadow is like, my partner is going down on me, but I'm thinking about the laundry on the floor or the grocery list, or can the, can the kids hear me? Or the we've all been there. <laughs> or, you know, <laughs> all of that. Yep. And, um, and that distractibility often leads to uh, disconnect from our bodies. From, that leads to, you know, elusive orgasms. It leads to um, not being able to really drop into connection with a partner. Or with ourselves. Yeah. Really, right? Okay, so sexual shadow tends to be, um, it's, it's also kind of hierarchical. Like, why do all of you sensuals need romance and candles? Like, can't we just do it? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And um, they kind of get really in a rut around orgasm. Like, I don't want to have sex unless I know that I'm going to orgasm. I don't even want to touch it unless I know that there's an endpoint guarantee. Yeah. And that really limits sex. It makes it so those like five minute quickies are very difficult to like find satisfaction in. Yeah. You know? Okay. So the last, okay, let's see. Kinky is where we're at. So kinky shadows are really about shame. The things that you know turn you on bring up a lot of shame, and so it's hard to voice what your needs are or what re would really do it for you in any moment. Mm -hmm. um, and that is a huge part of healing that we do in coaching: is healing the, the shame, the shame about bodies, the shame about gender, the shame about all of the things that we're socialized into is thinking that are like taboo, dirty, wrong, broken. About yeah, and I like I like that idea. Uh, shame because I think it's even when you talk about shame with your body I remember how much that played into my sex life with my husband it was no we can't do it if the lights are on right yeah. or um I don't need you I don't want I'm not going to be fully naked because I don't want you to see me um mm -hmm. those even right because that can easily fall into that whole taboo um shame body and all of that absolutely that's a huge part of this um and oh my gosh we could go on a huge tangent about that i would love yeah. to talk to you guys. <laughs> right <laughs> me too because i went through all of that and i know how lonely that is right because oh that's God. what it is you don't have that you completely lack the connection piece when yeah. you're in that part of thinking and when you are struggling with that part there's no connection with your partner and with yourself it's yeah. just really you there is there's no point right yeah. there's you're not getting any benefits or any pleasure and you're not giving pleasure to your to your partner either at that point right yeah it's just sex absolutely yeah it's just it's just sex and sometimes that can make it so painful Yes. Both physically and emotionally. Yes. You know? 
Okay. Um, I really want to go down the shame tangent. Maybe we have another conversation. I was going to say, I think that to me sounds like a whole nother episode. So. Yes. <laughs> totally. totally. Um, okay. And then the last shadow is the shapeshifter shadow, which is really, I'm too much. I can't ask for my needs because they're too much. I don't want to burden my partner. And, and that comes up so often. I don't want to ask my partner to go down on me. I don't want to ask my partner to light candles. I don't want to ask my partner to um, put on my favorite music or write me a love note. Mm -hmm. It's just too much. So then would, because I know we, I think earlier we were talking about how a shapeshifter can overcompensate, right? They can mm -hmm. go into the partner's um, arousal state and do their, so is that part of the shadow as well is when they're overcompensating to pleasure their partner? Exactly. You're picking up this pretty quick. Here's That's awesome. <laughs> it's so, it's, it's beyond fascinating to me that there's so much, it's not just sex, right? No. And I think that we've been and maybe it's just me but i think that we've been taught that that's all it is yeah right that it's exactly. just sex and exactly. there's so much more than that i mean there's so many key parts to it that it's amazing like to me that there's so much more to it than just sex yep exactly and what does that mean then for survivors because if you open this up and start to expand your definition of arousal, of pleasure, of connection, it makes it so much less scary and overwhelming. It doesn't just have to be about recapitulating that genital thing that happened that was terrible. It's actually about like, there's a gazillion doors that you could walk to through to your pleasure. Well, and it's and more about connection. Yeah. Right. It's not, it's, that's what it is. It's all about creating a connection and that safe place, right? It's making that, those moments where it's only you two, mm -hmm. right? That it's all about, this is going to make our partnership stronger oh, forever, yeah. not just in these few minutes, right? Yeah. You're going to learn about me <laughs> in these moments that you yeah. might not learn about me without those moments, right? Yeah, exactly. And one of the things that we talk about in coaching is expanding the blueprints. So you have access to more than just your primary blueprint, which means that no matter what your partner needs, no matter what you need throughout phases of life, you can connect there. And that makes it so that your sex life can just get better over time rather than hitting a, you know, a pinnacle and then falling off and suddenly you have a passionless marriage. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So oh, amazing. It is so amazing. I love it. I just, I think there's so much, like I said, I think we could talk about this all day, like just continuously and learn, right. Not yeah. just talk about it, but really learn about different aspects that you bring in and you learn about yourself and what you're learning mm -hmm. about your partner um, and all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, but I am definitely going mm -hmm. to have you on again and talk all about shame because again, I think that is a much needed topic. Um, and I think 
so many people feel that not just women. Um, I think everybody feels that, right? Absolutely. So are there any offers that you want to offer to, uh, to the listeners today? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'm super excited about opening up this work for your community. I just feel like after talking to you, your audience is so perfect for this. Um, so here's what I want to do. I want to offer your listeners a 60-minute one-on-one coaching session with me, which is a really, really exciting thing. It's amazing. Like, <laughs> you can change someone's life in 60 minutes. Yeah. I've, <laughs> right? heard that, I've heard that from a number of people who do these calls with me, is that afterwards, there is an opening to what's possible. Yes. Finally, after hitting your head on a wall, metaphorically, for you know, however long about your sexuality. So they're called passionate possibilities calls. I'll send you the link so that you can um, can have people get to my scheduler. Yes. And what we do is we go over, you know, what is it, if you could have anything in your sex life, what would that be? What would it look like to be at the top of that mountain, looking out over all of the beauty that could ever be your pleasure? And then we look at, what are the things that stand between you and that pinnacle? What are the obstacles? And what I found is that coming into contact with what is really holding you back, bringing awareness, shining light on those things, gives you some agency to start to really work on healing those aspects. And then if we feel like, you know, working together further is something that would be in your best interest and that you really feel like is in alignment for you, then we can talk about what that would be. Yeah, that's amazing. That's such an amazing offer. Like if people don't jump on this, I think they're just crazy. Like I think no matter how good you are in bed, <laughs> I think you can always learn more, right? You Absolutely. can always learn more how to improve and how to really just have fun, right? Yeah. And just figure out how to bring those two aspects together of yourself. Um, so I want to say thank you for being here. I absolutely loved our conversation. You may now be the longest podcast episode that I have (laughs) and I'm super excited. And I know that like the beginning totally went haywire and like everything just was chaos. Um, so thank you for being here and I am super, super excited and I cannot wait to follow your journey even more. And to see what you do and how many lives you change. Because I think that you're going to have such a huge impact on the world that you you don't even realize it. Um, so I will have all of your links available for everybody to follow you. Um, I will be following you. Um, and yes, so thank you for being here. Wonderful. Thank you so much. I want to say thank you to Tara for being my guest today. I seriously could talk to Tara all day about all things sex. We will be having Tara back for another episode to continue our conversation about shame and sex. Thank you for being here, and I am excited to be back on May 14th with Michelle as we talk all about sexual assault and being a healthcare worker. Have a beautiful day.